Here we go. My name is Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number, sweetie, can you guess? Well, I know we're close to 600. 599. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is what we try to practice on a daily basis. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show... It's an essential show, isn't it, sweetie? It's essential. And the reason it's essential is because you have a book in your hand called Essentialism, called by Greg McEwen. It is. And and we are going to, we've talked about this book before, probably two or three years ago. And uh, Greg has a new book out called Effortless, which is about how to, it's called Effortless, make it easier to do what matters most. Mm. So, but I haven't read that. And and I, the only reason I bring that up is that's why he's back in my my mind and world because I've listened to a few interviews with him. Okay. And but it brought me back to my essentialism book. I dug it back out and started rereading it. Um, you know, looking at all of the pages that I had highlighted and 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 I feel like even though I'm sure his new book is is essential right now, I kind of feel like we need to start from step 1 again before we get to effortless. Which yeah. is figuring out what is essential, and the the show we did last week, we were talking about. I think we called it "We Are Rocks," and and it was about how we've been, you know, beaten and battered by the waves of life, um, and that even though some of the more um, scary and horrific things have maybe past, maybe not for everybody, but you know, some of the the things that really, you know, hit us hard last year might be evening out a little bit, but we are still left with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of change. And, you know, as we said last week, a lot dealing with our own mental wellness when it comes to grief and when it comes to just feeling, you know, knowing for sure now that things are uncertain. We knew before, now we're positive. Now we're uncertain. positive. And so how do we then go back to, you know, people, it's the big discussion about how do we go back to normal? And I'm putting that in air quotes. And we, and we don't. What we do is we find a new way um, through what we've learned in the last year. And I think essentialism, it's like a perfect way to reintroduce it. Looking forward to this discussion. Okay. But okay. first, you've been walking around with that book and it says Greg, Greg McKeown. McEwen. McEwen. Uh-huh. And it reminds me of Nancy McKeon. Do you know who that is? Of course I do. Who is that? She was in Facts of Life. That's right. Are you going to play the Facts of Life? <laughs> Sweetie, this show is all about the Facts of Life. Um, I was a big fan of Joe Polonacek. Most people, no, most people were fans of Blair. Or Tootie. Or Natalie. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the Facts of Life. The Facts of Life. There's a time you gotta go and show you grow, and now you know about the Facts of Life. The facts of life. It's a great song. It's a great theme song. Well, I have a memory of this. I have two things to say. Number one, that my sister and I would get really mad if we missed the opening because we wanted to see that or hear that song. Yeah. So if we like came in and the facts of life had already started, mm. we were like, oh, you know, time before TiVo and YouTube and yeah. everything. You had you to be it. there. The other piece of pop culture is, do you know who Nancy McKeon's brother is? Mm, I feel like I used to know this. Um, can you give me a hint? 
Well, you could pull up another great song from mm. a TV show. So he was also on a TV show called Alice. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I loved Alice's theme song. I loved the Alice theme song. It, but it was, like, so different where, like, Facts of Life was, like, us being young. Yeah. I felt like Alice was, like, the middle-aged theme song, Tommy. right? His name is Tommy. His name is Tommy. His name is Doug McKeon. Very good, sweetie. Thank you. Well, I loved Alice. Mel. Um, Early to rise. This is a Gen X show, isn't it? Totally. In between, I cooked and cleaned and went out of my head. Going through life with blinders on, it's and tough this to is Linda see. Lavin yeah. singing this. Yeah. Get up, get How many TV shows can you say that? Watching the intro and the station wagon is sta- station wagon is getting towed away. Right. So like we're going to California, but the car broke down. So they're just gonna live in Arizona. It's very karate kid. Um, so <laughs> what's funny or interesting about that show is so we were young, this is eighties. I believe she got a divorce, which was kind of like Was it a divorce you know, or did he die? I forget. I don't know, but dude was out of the picture. So she and Tommy had to drive away and then she ends up getting a job at Mel's diner with Flo and Vera. I remember one time Mel got really mad because she was moonlighting. Which means she had another job? She had another job at night and she wouldn't be able to perform her waitress duties (laughs) in the morning. Well, they were all very involved in each other's lives. What about Vera? She was a dingbat. Well, and that's just, they were such like (laughs) stereotypes, all of them. Do you know what I mean? Even Mel, like everything was so... Mel was grumple still skin. Because, you know, I've already shared on the show how Skyler and I watch Golden Girls. And and we just, we just, now that we've seen so many seasons, we're like, man, these stereotypes just don't die. Mm -hmm. Like they just, they hammer it. Mm -hmm. As like it's the same thing over and over. It's embedded. It they have no like there's there's no like multifaceted. No, there's like, it's a very simple concept. It's a very simple concept. And in some ways it's you know, it takes you back to that time where everything just seemed like th- that's what people try to fight for now. Mm-hmm. Is they're like, I just want a simpler time. But the truth was it wasn't simpler. It was an awful time. There was a lot of bad things happening. Exactly. But we didn't. And people could only show one side of themselves and couldn't speak about all these other aspects of themselves, which made them sick and which caused problems in their own life. But we're like, but yeah, yeah, I only want to look at this side of someone. I know. So, Sweetie, I, if I have to give you a choice, Facts of Life or Alice, what are you going to go with? Well, I'm going to go Facts of Life just because that's the age I was. Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't, Alice seemed like light years away. Was, wasn't Tootie and Natalie and Joe and Blair older than us when we were watching the they show? They were. They were in high school when I was like in elementary school or yeah. junior high, but I could relate yeah. to their experiences. So there was two uh, brother-sister pairs that were always in Teen Beat. There was the McKeon, the McKeons. Mm-hmm. And then there was the McNichols, Christy and Jimmy McNichol. Oh, I loved Christy McNichol. I know. Well, she would not love you because she, um, I think, is married to a woman. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so that she, that, that ship she, has sailed. She shows uh, her, she gets naked in Two Moon Junction. And I'm just like, oh my God, I can't. Christy McNichol does? I she saw does. Two Moon Junction. Yeah. That was like a cult movie from yeah. college. I was a fan of that movie too. How do I not remember that? I remember it vividly, sweetie. I obviously. Because this was Christy McNichol. I know. 
I know. And Sherilyn Fenn was in that. Too. I know that part. I remember Sherilyn Fenn. Um, I remember watching that. Um, anyway. All right. Um, so, so essentialism. Before we do that, oh, okay. sweetie, you okay. do a Zen parenting moment twice a week. I do. If you're interested, the only way you can get these, you know, 30 to 60 second reads is by signing up for it. So if you just scroll up on these show notes, the very first thing you'll see is subscribe to the Zen Parenting Moment. The one we're going to focus on today is titled Metamorphosis. 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 And you start with a quote by Maya Angelou. Mm-hmm. We delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but rarely admit the changes it has gone through to achieve that beauty. What inspired you to write this, my darling? Well, you know, it's about our discomfort with our children experiencing pain, but then also accepting the fact that our children experiencing pain, discomfort, change is how they become their wiser and deeper selves. Mm -hmm. So it's this really challenging trade-off for parents. And, you know, I can't think of one parent who would say, yes, I can't wait for my kid to experience pain so they become a wiser and deeper self. But I think when they are in the midst of going through it, if we can be present for where they are and be by their side and support them, if we can keep in the back of our mind, not on the forefront, don't say to your kid when they're in pain, you're going to become a wiser, deeper self. Yeah. Because believe me, I can tell you from experience. It doesn't work. doesn't work. Um, but if we can keep in the back of our mind that this is how they learn, and you don't Please be clear about this. You don't cause the pain. You know, if you're causing the pain, don't say, well, I'm glad that they are going through this pain. I'm talking about like they're going through something in their own lives and you're supporting them. Then know that they, when they work through it with your support, with help, that they will have a better idea of who they are and what they can do. Um, it's painful though, man. Like, you know, I have a 18, 17 or 18, 16 and 13 year old. And, you know, Todd and I have been getting frustrated lately because for those of you who've been listening to this show, we've been doing this for 10 years. Um, if you've been listening this whole time, we always got very frustrated when people be like, you know, wait till you have teenagers Mm -hmm. because we love our teenagers and we love teenagers and we love, the experience of being with teenagers and we would just always get really frustrated about people being so like, oh, um, it'll get harder. Yeah. But what we have discovered is while we still hold firm with we love teenagers and we love being with our kids, the challenges that you deal with, they just have a bigger... Well, the way I can simplify it is when your kid is five and she falls down on her bike and scrapes her knee... You can make it all better. You can make it better. Kind of eat, not easily, but it's easier. When your kid's 15 and just something's going on at school or they're just struggling or whatever, you can't like kiss the owie and make it all better. They have to take the lead. And the reason it's harder is because when they're five, we don't have to sit in our discomfort of watching them in pain because we can spring into action. Mm -hmm. When they're 15 there might be nothing that you can do. Right. Or you have to stand by, this is the metamorphosis piece. You know, like the reason I called it metamorphosis and related it to the butterfly is that, you know, when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, it turns to goo. Mm -hmm. You know, we just think it sprouts wings, but it really turns to goo. It falls apart Mm -hmm. and comes back together. And who wants to sit and watch their kid fall apart? But that's what they do 
to become a butterfly. Whereas, like you said, when they fall off the bike at five, they fall apart, but you're like, I can put the pieces back together. I can get the peroxide out. I can get the bandaid out. I can kiss the owie and make it all better. And when they're 15, they may not even want you to be around in that moment. Right. And really, and you talk about this a little bit, and I know you like to keep these blogs so short, so it's easy to read, but this really is our own personal journey of dealing with our own discomfort. Correct. And you already said that, but it's really, really uncomfortable to be uncomfortable. It sure is. And to check your own, like being offended or being like, well, I'm just trying to help Mm -hmm. or becoming even a challenge for them to manage. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like when you feel like you are starting to get in the way of their healing because of your own discomfort, that's when, so the interesting thing is Todd, I'm just having this realization. Metamorphosis is not just about our kids. It's about us because I have been just as transformed by supporting my kids when they're in pain because I've had to learn how to, to back up and I've had to learn how to find new ways to say things. Like I've had times, you know, like where I've been like, Todd, like I've been studying this for what, 20 years and I practice this all the time in my own life with you, with clients, with my writing. And sometimes things don't work with my kids. And I'm like, when I say work, like I'll say something and it's not soothing. Yeah. And, and sometimes it might even be upsetting. And, you know, and people will say, oh, you know, Kathy, what would you say to your kid in this situation? And in my mind, I'd be like, well, I'd say this, Mm -hmm. but guess what? Sometimes they don't want to hear it. And sometimes it's the wrong time. And sometimes it's the wrong tone of voice. And and so the, the reason I'm saying all this is we are metamorphosizing too, because I'm developing even, I've, I feel like I've always had humility, but a deeper humility, um, a sense of like, why don't I just be present for this rather than think I know what to do? That's why our kids are here to teach us. It's funny. I just uh, listened to a little bit of the most recent Rob Bell podcast and he ends up talking about how he's going to join a band and, and the, the, the introduction to the possibility of this happening is he was helping his son clear out uh, the back house, the garage where all the music instruments were. And Rob started selling all the stuff that his son didn't want. And his son said to him, well, dad, you got to at least keep one for yourself. One oh. one guitar for yourself. Cool. And he kept the one guitar. So, so it ended up like he would not have done that had his not his son not nudged him in that direction. And now, you know, seven months later, he started a rock and roll band. And he's playing the guitar. He yeah. learned how to play guitar in seven months? Well, I, I think he used to play. Got it. So he just picked it back he up. He picked it back up. Got it. Because he was going to sell it all. And then he... So the reason I say that story is our kids, if we can stay open to it, can teach us a lot of things about our own fears, our own discomfort that we can reframe that relationship with instead of us thinking that we know everything and we know what to say and our kids are here for us to fix them. Maybe our kids are here to, for us to learn from. Oh my God, a hundred percent. I mean, I, all three of my kids have certain traits that I would aspire to have, you know, where it's like, Ooh, I could learn from that. I could learn from that. I can learn from that. So, and you know, they are the ones it's funny. I'm, I keep thinking about Cameron who said, who mentioned that at the last conference as we were closing, so this must have been in 2019. No, we did a conference in 2020, but it was early. Yeah, um, It was before uh, lockdown. And that she was sitting there listening to us and we were thanking everybody on stage, like thank you to our keynote speakers and thank you to all the people who came. And 
she's like, uh, you kind of forgot to thank mm-hmm. us. And she was kidding, it, but she kind of wasn't like, you know, where's all this coming from? This conference, this is coming from what you you've be learned as a parent. There, right? Exactly. And so she was joking, but I really was like, you're right. Like, Well, one other thing that Rob said, and then we'll get into the book, okay. is he said, you know, you have to be discerning with this, but he's like, you know, as adults, we have our own set of challenges and depending on the ages of your kids, but it's, it's kind of a cool flipping the script when you happen to be struggling with something and you say to your kid, like say it's a work thing. Or right. Something. Ask your kids what you, th- what you think, what they think you should do or like ask, seek, seek advice from them. Now it's, I have to be very cautious in how I say that. Cause it's not like you want your kid to be your counselor, but it, it just kind of like roll to roll versus soul to soul. Like there's some beauty and, and our kids are much smarter about everything than we give them credit for. You know what? I feel like I do it a lot. And sometimes I do it for conversational reasons, but sometimes I do it because I really wonder what they would do. But I'm not saying I need help. You tell me what to do. I'm saying, here's an issue that I'm sorting through. What would you do in this Mm. situation? So sometimes it's just fun conversation, but sometimes it's like, oh, of course. Or they'll just point out to me something. They're like, well, you said that blah, blah, blah. So isn't, you know, so they like question my own um, the, the fact that I'm even asking the question. Oh, and they'll challenge us yeah. in a way that maybe even a good friend may not. I so. know. Essentialism. Okay, so again, uh, Greg McEwen's book, um, it, I can't remember when it came out. I don't know. Let me let me look and see. Does it came it out really? in 2014. 2014. It, it does matter in that I want to make sure that we know, you know, that this has been, we've been discussing this for mm. a long time, not just you and I, but people yeah. have been trying to figure out you know, how to manage time better. And really, that's not what this is about. And he says that a lot, you know, throughout the book, that this is not a time management tool. This is how to figure out what means the most to you and just do that. Mm -hmm. So like one of the, you know, he's like probably the best way to sum this up is do less but better. Mm. Okay, so a lot of us are trying to do a lot of things, um, multitask, um, be everything to everybody. Don't drop any balls. Um, don't you know? Don't disappoint anybody. And we are doing that in such a way that we are causing maybe more harm than good um, in our own lives and possibly with other people. Because sometimes when we're unwilling to let go of something or give something up, it causes other people turmoil mm-hmm. because either they would like to do it or your inability to get things done or your inability to do things in the right way causes them stress. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to just go over um, a few of the, he he has a page where he kind of gives the model of essentialism. And I thought it'd be interesting for us to just talk through them. But before I do that, um, he says, just to kind of, again, bring you up to speed, the way of the essentialist means living by design, not by default. Instead of making choices reactively, the essentialist deliberately distinguishes the vital few from the trivial many, eliminates the non-essentials, and then removes obstacles so the essential things have a clear, smooth passage. So I feel like, and, and the reason, you know, I heard a few podcasts with Greg about his new book, Effortless, but I also feel like for the past two months, I have been doing this without calling it essentialism. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't naming it. But what I realized is that there were certain things that were most important to me and that I wanted 
it's not even about wanted. I knew I needed to put all of my energy behind. And there's certain things that I may like or, you know, appreciate for whatever reason, but they just aren't essential right now. And I had to let them go. And that isn't always easy. And I've had to disappoint a lot of people. Um, but it's allowed me a few things. Number one, sleep. So I'm not trying to stay up until 11 or midnight or one to get things done. Um, it has allowed me clarity of intention when I wake up in the morning. Um, now, interesting, my day is fuller mm -hmm. than it used to be before. Todd and I both, like sometimes when it gets to be seven, eight o'clock, we're like, whoa, yeah. this day was full, but not in the busy way where you're just like trying to put out fires or get through the day in that way. It's more like structure. And some of that structure is things like watching a 30-minute sitcom mm -hmm. and watching the whole thing and not and sitting there or, you know, reading something and saying this is reading time. So like it's full, but it's not like we're our brains are all over the place. Does that make sense? You wanna hear some wisdom from Ron Swanson? Sure. I learned a lesson. Never half ass two things. <laughs> last one thing that's pretty much it that's it ron and ron's a perfect example like ron is such a great character Who's ron? well he's on parks and rec and you know his whole like the baseline of his character is the fact that he's a libertarian he doesn't believe in big government and but he works for the government because he wants to take down the government but actually he doesn't because all of his best friends work in government and he is actually kind of good at what he does mm. as being a leader um but again i digress he does things like he will sit and, you know, whittle a flute out of wood and he loves it. And he won't be doing it while he's checking his phone. Correct. And there's nothing else going on. And um, there's a piece that I know that sounds strange to say that about Ron Swanson, but there is a piece because he's very clear mm -hmm. about this is important right now. Fishing, mm -hmm. you know, this is important right now or helping somebody. So I think that we, why this is a perfect time to rediscuss this book is that we have been given a little space for a reset. Um, yeah. Everybody's kind of resetting right now. Right. Most of us are as we, you know, get into the summertime. It's right now, as we record, it's May 10th pandemic. A lot more people are being vaccinated in this country. And we are allowed to kind of say, well, what do we want this to look like from here on out? Like, are you going to go back to where you were, to where you were or try to It's Cause I don't know if it's really possible, but are you going to be like, okay, I have to do my Sunday brunches again. And then I have to host this party again. And then I have to go back to my four book clubs. And then I have to like, do you have to, and, and for the things you want to do that feel essential, do it. But this is what gets me to this list. What is non-essential versus essential? And I'm going to read these to you, and then I just want you to say something you about got them. It. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So the first, he, he breaks it out into thinks, does, and gets. Okay? And so I'm going to read you the non-essential and then the essential. So thinks, non-essential. These are things that apply to all people. I have to. It's all important. How can I fit it all in? That's a non-essential way of thinking. Mm -hmm. The essentialist thinks, I choose to, only a few things really matter, and what are the trade-offs? Mm -hmm. 
Um, yes. So as, as I'm writing this down, I have to versus I choose to. Mm-hmm. There is a place of victim mentality. When you say I have to, mm-hmm. you're at the mercy of something else going on. Correct. You know, these people think that I want to bake these cookies for the school project. Mm-hmm. That's a have to. And I choose to is this place of empowerment. Mm-hmm. So it's it's when you hear these words, most of these words get recited in our heads. Mm-hmm. We, we're not saying it out loud. Actually, sometimes we are saying it out loud. I have to, I have to, you know, bake the cookies or whatever it is. Um, that is an indicator to say whether or not this is something that you can let go of or not. Right. So like when you hear these words in your in your mind that you're restating back to yourself, or if you're saying them out loud to somebody else, that's a wonderful teachable moment for you. Like whenever you say, and I could already hear people saying, I know, but I do have to go drop my kids off at school. Sure. But you, then you need to take a wider lens and say, when you're thinking about what's essential, parenting is essential. Yeah. Like, that's when you have to like pull the, pull the camera back a little bit correct. and say, yes, I don't really want to drop my kids off at school today, but in order for them to become the people that we want them to be, School's kind of important. And because parenting is one of my essentials, mm-hmm. which that's kind of the big, that's one of my, it's always been my realization, you know, that parenting is like my top tier of things that I want to do and focus on. But it's just been more that way in the last couple months. And it it relieves a lot of pressure for me in that this is what's most important right now. And what I know is that even that ebbs and flows. Parenting is also is always my most important, but there are times when like I I have this memory of when my girls started school, when they all were in school, where I was like, okay, now parenting is just as essential, but I do have space to do other things. Whereas before that I could barely even write a newsletter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I couldn't I was trying to be a parent coach. I was trying to do all these things and I really just didn't have the space for it. It just wasn't essential. Right. But then all of a sudden some space opened up and I could fill it with something that was essential to another essential thing. Yeah. But sometimes you have to kind of reconstruct, which I feel like I'm doing now is like, this happened again after your mom passed away, I remember. Like I let go of a bunch of things and kind of started over as far as people from the outside may not see it as that, but I know that it's happening in me is that what's most important right now. And what do I need to do to focus on what's most essential? So, and what this reminds me of is we did a podcast way back podcast number 271 and it was titled the importance of character. And it's when we talked about uh, the David Brooks book, called The Road to Character, and he talks about your loves being in order. Yes. And um, I feel like that kind of dovetails really well on what what it is that we're talking about today. Because, of course, everything we do as parents, this is a parenting podcast, there's plenty of stuff that we don't want to do on a day-to-day basis to make sure our kids are getting everything it is that they need. But to your point, you got to make sure your loves are in order because sometimes we're doing all these small detail-y things about something that really doesn't mean as much as we want it to be. We're just staying busy so we can say, I'm busy with this. And sometimes we're avoiding the things that are essential because they actually have the most feeling behind them. So we will 
focus on something that is completely non-essential because it's it's bland and doesn't feel like anything. And it's safer. Like it's how safer. many of us hide behind our work emails? I'm raising my hand right yes, now. Yes. It's easier for me to respond to a work email than it is to really check in authentically with my daughter who I noticed at dinner she wasn't quite herself. Right. What do I want to do? Right. Well, it's a lot easier to go Crank out some work emails. And then if someone called you on it, I, I got to do my work. Yeah. I got to, and you don't do this, mm-hmm. but that, you know, I got to do work. See, we can hide behind what's non-essential because the essential carries more energy. It's the path of least resistance. It is. And, and that is not, um, that takes practice because I think non-essential is how we can numb out. It's just another form of numbing out. It's like overproductivity or perfectionism or just places that we can, you know, hide so we don't have to feel our lives. And while I completely get that, what we're doing is we're allowing, I've been talking a lot about life energy, how our life energy gets drained. We're, you, we're allowing our life energy to get drained on things that we don't really care about. And so then when we are confronted with things that we do care about, we don't have any energy to give. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it, it, these are all different ways of talking about non-essential and essential. So let's go to does. This okay. is more about the doing of non-essential and essential. So non-essential doing. It's focused on the undisciplined pursuit of more, reacting to what's most pressing, saying yes to people without really thinking, trying to force execution at the last moment. Mm-hmm. Last minute stuff. Mm-hmm. Versus essential, the doing is the, the disciplined pursuit of less, pauses to discern what really matters, says no to everything except the essential, Mm. removes obstacles to make execution easy. Mm. So the problem with the disciplined pursuit of less is the saying no. Um, I've had to do that a lot lately. Um, And I, you know, especially when you're in a helping profession and you know that people need support, it's a very uncomfortable, like, sorry, I can't offer that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also know that there are times and will be times again when I have that life energy to do that. And that's when I will be helpful because if we're just, just churning and burning things like, okay, next client or next thing I need to do, we're not really, that's not really me at my best anyway. Yeah. There's no intention there. There's no intention. And I'm not, and again, that doesn't, that's beside the fact that I'm then away from the things that I know are most important to me. So I'm doing it for somebody else. You know what this is for me as you're reading through it? I think I might need to read this book because it's really kind of... Oh, you'd love this. I have i don't know how much I've you know put it in front of your face, but mm-hmm. the first time I read it, I was like, this is all you. Um, whenever I think of somebody I admire and people I admire who have their loves in order, mm-hmm. people who are really productive and intentional and have a plan and go get it. That's what this is, because I can think of so many people in my life right now that, including myself sometimes, are like last minute stuff and urgency. Urgency is a part of their life. And then the ones that I feel like sometimes get more done seem less busy. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, Oh, yes. You know, so you said the doing, the the non-essential version of doing is undisciplined, pressing, um, and... Says yes to people without thinking. Well, that the essential is they it seems like there's more spaciousness and they pause and they say no. These are the essential yes, versions of doing. Correct. Saying no, I feel like we should do a whole podcast on saying no. And the reason I say I think we need to do that is because I'm not particularly good at it. Mm-hmm. And I need to I need to 
strengthen that muscle because saying no is really hard. And there's blogs and books written out there, just the art of saying no. Mm -hmm. And it's all about diving into my own discomfort of being a people pleaser, Mm -hmm. obviously. But um, just so give me an example. I'm curious, like really just putting you on the spot. What are you having a hard time saying no to right now? Um, certain responsibilities from work, certain responsibilities from men living, um, uh, you know, you know, career stuff. Right. And so I think that, cause obviously I can relate. One thing that's, that's nice is being the age that we are right now. You and I, you just turned 49, I'm 49. We're the same age. Um, is that we actually could be more effective if we chose, if we, as we attempt to do all the time, but if we lived as true as we discuss, mm-hmm. but how do I say this? Like, if you are trying to prove to people who you are, yeah. then you are not doing what you're teaching. Right. You are, it, it's, it's it, saying you're hypocritical is too strong. It's more like you're not practicing what you preach. Sure. And so what's more interesting, the people that I like to learn from, and it sounds like you're saying this, are the people who are like, yeah, I go to bed at nine or, oh no, on Sunday I decide to do something totally different. Mm-hmm. Or you're like, oh, I want that. Yet the practice or your your day to day is more about, I need to show everybody how worthy I am. And I don't even know if I agree with you. I don't necessarily see that in you, but I think that it, I, I have a Rob Bell, speaking of him, he did a podcast a couple of years ago that I listened to again and again because one of the realizations that he he had, and he kept saying it, if you know Rob's voice, you can hear it in your head, I don't have anything to prove mm-hmm. to anybody. Mm-hmm. And he would just say it over and over again, not as a like defiant tone, but as a, if you realize that, if you're going through life trying to prove you're worthy or demonstrate why you care or show up in a way to make other people think something about you, then you're not even in your own skin. Yeah. So what you're describing for me right now is my need at times to, I outsource my need for approval. Yeah. So in other words, I'm not good enough as I am. I'm only good enough if I show up in this world in a certain way. On time. And what Ro- On time. <laughs> and what Rob is saying is if I'm on time or if I'm 45 minutes late, that does not dictate the value of who I am as a human being. And the thing is, is if you're living essential and not non-essential, the likelihood of you being late is minimized. Right. So a lot of the, oh, you know, like people who are like, people don't understand how busy I am and that's why I'm late. And it's like, but people aren't just focused on the moment you're late. They're like, why are you so busy? Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe deal with this so this doesn't happen. And and lateness is a minuscule indicator. Well, it's a, for me, it's a wonderful... Um, you know, example or an opportunity for me to look at. And because if I'm 45 minutes late, I feel really, really bad. And anybody would, anybody who cares no, not, about, not, not anybody, a lot of people could care less. Well, I'll challenge that in that I think people do care, but they pretend they don't because they don't want to deal with the feeling of vulnerability yeah, or that. And I say what, why I say that is that some people show up and be like, what? I, I was late or it was traffic and, uh, you know, but they are uncomfortable. They're just pretending to not be mm. because that's not, they're not dealing with their own time management issues. What I would say though, is there's two different ways to be on time. There's, I'm going to be on time to show everybody I'm on time. And then there's, I'm going to be on time because I can actually make this work. And if I'm five minutes early or five minutes late, it doesn't dictate who I am. Mm -hmm. 
that do you feel like there's a difference? Well, I think there's a dance between it because I think people can weaponize this idea as like, oh, so I don't really need to be on time because I'm not going to outsource my need from approval from anybody else. Well, at the same time, it's important for me to hold up my agreements. If I say eight o'clock, then I'm going to try to set up my life so I get there at eight o'clock. Right. And and what I have always, and I'm thinking about when the girls were little, like we'd be on our way to a party and we'd be late. And there was a lot of like discomfort about that. And I'm like, all we have to do is call mm-hmm. and be, say, we're almost there. Okay. Like there's, because I'm not going to yell at my kid to get her shoes on so I can demonstrate to people I'm not late yeah. because then my loves are out of order. Okay. I'm more concerned about what the people at the other end right. think about me than this relationship I'm having. Exactly. And so there is this place in between. I agree with you that there are some people who are like, screw them. I'm not going to show up on time. But most mm-hmm. Most of the time, there's real life mm-hmm. things going on. But anyway, I want to do the last one before we go. Okay. The last one is gets. Okay. So we did thinks, does, and this is gets, non-essential. A life that does not satisfy. That's what we get. Takes on too much and work suffers. Feels out of control. Is unsure of whether the right things got done. Feels overwhelmed and res- overwhelmed and re- exhausted. If you are an essentialist, you get... A life that really matters. Chooses carefully in order to do great work. Feels in control. Gets the right things done. Experiences joy in the journey. I mean, yeah. Wow. Give me the give me the the essential version it gets. And that's and so some people will be like, oh, but you know, let's go back to your example. I don't want to drop my kid off at school. If you take the wider view, how do you feel about your parenting? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're present? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're listening? Do you feel like you're there? Do you feel like you get to have a conversation that's worthwhile, even if it's only one a day? Then you're living a life where you feel joy because you're like, I know I'm there. If you're constantly like not there and you feel bad about it all the time and you're walking around saying, but I have to do these non-essential things and I feel bad that I'm not there and oh, I meant to do this, then your life energy is leaking out because you know you're not doing what's what's essential. You're not. So even though you may be doing more mundane things... Your joy, and I'm using the word joy, not like happy, but like contentment is intact because you're like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This discussion that I've had with many women, um, and I kind of feel this way myself, like right now in terms of my family of where I want to put my energy is that there are times like, you know, for example, I'll, I'll take something more dramatic. Like when my dad was in the hospital, he was there for like three months. This was a long time ago. I knew that's where I was supposed to be every day. Mm -hmm. So it gave me a sense of odd contentment because I didn't think to myself, I should be somewhere else. If you've ever had a kid with a medical issue in the hospital, a spouse, yourself, you're like, this is where I'm supposed to be. You Mm -hmm. know, if you have a baby in the NICU, this is where I'm supposed to be. There is nowhere else. And that's an essentialism feeling. That is a feeling of this is why I'm here on earth in this moment. We can create that even with doing a drop-off mm-hmm. at school, if we know that's the most important thing. And it doesn't mean you have to quit your job. It means create, like develop, work with to create something that's meaningful to well, you. What we have to do is we have to quit. We don't have to quit our job. We have to quit our thinking pattern, Correct. our thought pattern. Correct. That's all we're trying to do is tweak. So like you talked about, you know, something as mundane as dropping your kids off at school. Like I'll get Zen here for a second. Like you can... If you call it mundane, then it's probably going to end up being mundane. Right. But really, it's an opportunity to either connect with your kid or maybe your kid doesn't want to talk to you. And then you get to just be in silence. Like you can do anything from a place of it being boring and mundane and non-essential 
or you can look at your life in those moments through the lens of this can be exciting. It doesn't matter what it is you're doing. It's from what energy are you doing it from or what energy I am doing it from. So these are all wonderful reminders. You can sing Levitating by Dua Lipa while you're dropping your kid off because I think I do that almost every day in the car. Um, Because it's, I think, might be one of the best pop songs that have come out in like 20 years. You know what I mean? Is DaBaby in this one? Yeah. I could tell that this was going to be a song that you liked. I knew. Well, it's everything I love in a yeah. song. It's got all these different levels, and this does not have the baby in it uh, because it didn't have the rap at the beginning. Yeah, I got it. But I am working very hard on knowing all the words to this song, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm getting much better. But because it's so fun to sing. Yeah. So I, if you want to have fun, listen to Levitating while you're dropping your kids off at school or while you're going to pick something up or while you have to go to Amazon or I always have to go to Kohl's to drop off things from Amazon. Do you guys do that? Do yeah, I just don't understand why. I mean, it's very convenient for yeah. us. They don't. You don't need to box it up. You no. just bring it to them with a thing on your phone. And they scan it. And I never, uh, I, I don't understand the strategy because I think Amazon wants us to buy stuff from them online, yet they're making it easy for us to go to Kohl's to buy their stuff. Maybe Amazon owns Kohl's. Well, I was going to say, there's something in there where there's a partnership and then Kohl's gets something. It's Everybody's winning. I don't think Amazon is like, hey, let's help them. Oh, I know Amazon. (laughs) Amazon is winning. We don't have any worry about that. As I sit with Amazon boxes all around me. So um, I think we should... Um, if you're cool with it, wrap this up. Well, Let's be I want to say a few quick things. Uh, okay. Thursday, we have Dr. Darius yes. speaking for 75 minutes. It's a Q&A, open discussion. It's being hosted by Men Living, but anybody can join us. So that registration, it's at 7 o'clock Central on Thursday. And then on Friday, we have a Zen Talk. Yay. Zen Talk number 119. We just did a Zen Talk last week, and some of the team members were struggling with relationship with father and sons. And then one of the moms had, uh, her daughter was dating a boy and she didn't know how to show up in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And then the last, um, mom would needed some help with her introverted son. So all we did was support them and we're in this community twice a month. And if you're interested in checking us out, it's first month is free. It's 25 bucks a month. We would love for you to kind of check us out. It's just discussions. You know, it's not like Todd and I solving problems necessarily. It's not because there's no simple answers to human challenges. Mm. It's just like, let's discuss it. What would you do? What did you feel? Where did they go? What works? What best? And it's just making a decision for the moment of how we're going to proceed, you know, and then we have to decide again the next day, how are we going to proceed? But I don't believe that any of us are supposed to do this parenting thing by ourselves because why would we? Because yeah. <laughs> we're all kind of in it together. So um, love you guys. Um, and uh, don't forget about Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800, uh, avidco.net. Uh, we will see you all maybe on the Zen Talk on Friday, if not next Tuesday. Keep talking. And next week is 600, Todd. The big 600. Weird. I know. It's crazy. All right. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. 
Hey, looking for more support, exclusive content, and an awesome community of parents? Join Team Zen, where you'll get zero pressure and 100% support. First month's free if you enter the coupon code FRIEND. Go to zenparentingradio.com. Time is at a premium these days, which is why we're delivering help and hope right to your inbox. Sign up to receive Zen Parenting Moment, a quick read two times a week that helps ground you and remind you of what you already know. Go to zenparentingradio.com to subscribe. A special shout out to the guys or for women who want to share a pretty great opportunity with the men in their lives. Men Living is committed to improving men's lives through connection. Included in our program is a low-pressure, 75-minute weekly virtual gathering for men to give and get support and build friendships. If you want to learn more, you can head to menliving.org. Join us for our other podcast, Pop Culturing, where we take a Gen X view on movies and TV and have fun breaking down key moments and the themes that teach us what it means to be human. And don't forget about our founding partner, Jeremy Craft at avidco.net. He is a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout Chicago and area. His number is 630-956-1800. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep on trucking.